Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome. 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 Hey everybody, welcome back to the Anthony and Todd show. I'm your host Trevor. And I'm Vincent. And I'm Trevor. And I'm Vincent. And this is the Anthony and Todd show. Thanks oh. for listening, everybody. <laughs> Today we got a couple of albums that we want to talk to you about. We're going to come to your door with our little pamphlets for the Anthony and Todd show and those little comics that show what's going to happen to you after you die. <laughs> and we're going to talk to you about the latest album from Pedro the Lion, Havasu, and the latest Bonobo or Bonobo record fragments. We're going to say Bonobo because Vincent cannot pronounce it the other way. So that is the name of Bonobo. the artist now. No, it's Bonobo. It's Bono. <laughs> Bono's bow. Bono Bo Jackson. Bono Bo Burnham Bixon Bigley. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck. I think I just tried to create a tongue tester and it was just literal gibberish. <laughs> I think I'm losing it. <laughs> I think most tongue twisters are just gibberish. Yes, but at least like Sally sells she seashells at the seashore is at least like a definite sentence, you Yours know? Yours is like, hey, see if you can say this tongue twister. <laughs> exactly. Without any further ado, before I have a stroke. The reviews. The reviews. Go for it. Pedro the Lion. Have a soup. I feel like in a lot of people's eyes, Pedro the Lion is kind of a lost remnant of the 90s or early 2000s indie rock era. After releasing several albums and EP under that name, the band split up and the founder, David Bazan, embarked on this successful soloed career. In 2017, though, Bazan began toying with the idea of reuniting the band, and after a year or so of touring and doing a couple of like pretty selective shows, the group finally released their fifth album, Phoenix, in 2019 on Polyvinyl, which is how we came to find that album. With the obvious metaphoric name, this was obviously a rebirth of the band's sound, and while this new album, Havasu, was somewhat expected to drop sometime in 2022, Bazan announced the album and then released it to no press whatsoever. On Phoenix, Bazan writes about his childhood home of Phoenix, Arizona, and what has apparently the first in a series of his childhood homes. There's supposed to be, I think, five albums, so this is the second one. That's a lot of moving. <laughs> yeah, that's also a lot of albums. <laughs> yes, yeah, this is a King Gizzard situation, <laughs> but it's not all in one year. <laughs> it's like in 15 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I seriously bet it will be. I bet he'll be like 60-some by the time he finishes all these. So if, if Phoenix was about Phoenix, then Havasu is the story of Bazan's uh, moving to Lake Havasu City in Arizona for one year in the seventh grade. And while I enjoy Phoenix, I think I enjoy Havasu more. Bazan's storytelling is top-notch here, just as it was on his past record, but his themes are so much more pinpointed here. Phoenix was about Bazan's childhood as a whole in Phoenix. It spans multiple years of his life, and he has a sort of freedom of the city with his yellow bike that he mentions, and he's able to go to the Circle K as he pleases and kind of explore his surroundings. Havasu opens up with the track Don't Wanna Move, which immediately drops us in this situation where this 12-year-old David Bazan is being forced to pack up his old life to move to some small town where he doesn't know anyone. And I've kind of did a little bit of research on Havasu City, and it seems like a really 
weird place to live. They have like a replica of the London Bridge for some reason. <laughs> it just seems like really corny. How come every time I come around, David Bazan's bridge doesn't <laughs> come down like London, London, London? <laughs> Okay, now I had a strip. Okay, Thank now I'm done. I'm <laughs> That's retired. a good tongue twister. <laughs> While he's trying to put on a brave face and be a team player for his family, inside he's conflicted. And that's pretty much the theme of Havasu as a whole. Bazan pretty accurately puts us in the mindset of this middle school boy throughout his project, and I find that's where his songwriting soars as compared to Phoenix. Everything that happens in Havasu the city happened within one year, and it feels so much more claustrophobic and confined in that way. You can pinpoint the time in his life where all these events happened, giving us this more condensed and poignant experience versus Bazan writing songs about scattered parts of his childhood in Phoenix. Through his songwriting and singing, David gives us this kind of crystal ball that allows us to relive his 7th grade year along with him, feeling his feelings, sharing in his pain, but also his happy moments, and then finally packing up everything to move again at the end of it all. The track Too Much is the anxiety-ridden first day of school in a new place. A constant kick drum pounds this overbearing rhythm, matching this stressful place 7th grade David is in. David's childhood fears are expanded to be more than just the initial events. With a perfect blend of catchy songwriting, wailing Midwest emo vocals, and a nice amount of an adult hindsight and perspective, exemplifying what the rest of the album showcased to me. Middle school is a very awkward time, and it's very easy to mess up a concept like this, and throughout the whole album, I never cringed at David. He comes through as a grown-up who reminisces without being stuck in that headspace. The music is narratively based in that time period of life, but it isn't just a soulless attachment. He puts enough heart to show how these events shaped him, but creates enough distance to show how he's grown up since then, so everything comes through as genuine without making it seem like a kid's album or a cringy man-child exclaiming into the void about his 7th grade sweetheart. This honestly is such an intense tightrope act to go through, and David bluntly and honestly manages to walk it perfectly. I think my favorite track on here is First Drum Set, which I find to be immensely relatable. Bazan recalls playing the clarinet in band, but having his heart set on switching to saxophone when the time comes, as many middle school band members do. And I also find it really funny that he was inspired by Beverly Hills Cop to play sax. As soon as he sang that, I was just laughing to myself. <laughs> because of an unbalanced band, the director wants him to stay on clarinet, but after some consideration with his father and the director, young David switches to drum set. He's ecstatic to take home his new kit and play, even though he knows literally nothing about drumming, and he's eager to soak up as much knowledge as he can, evidenced by bugging some other kid to teach him how to play a drum fill. There's so much that goes into this track that really speaks to me. Musically, I love that shift from the very somber, ballad style at the beginning of the track into a drum-driven, happier song after he trades out his clarinet. Lyrically, Bazan just kind of awakens that memory of fourth grade me getting my trumpet for the first time and going to my room after school to play for hours, despite only knowing like two notes. It's magical to have something of your own to play. He also sings about his dad wanting him to play a wind instrument in an orchestra, so clarinet was kind of just something that was thrust upon him. His father may have had good intentions for him, but he just played to get the saxophone. He just wanted to get to the end goal. When he gets his drum set, David essentially grabs a piece of his own life and gets to forge his own path for once. While he might not ever play in an orchestra like his dad wants him to, his father accepts that he just wants his son to be happy and just wants him to do something that is going to bring him joy in his life. Both of them grow over the course of the short little track where David finally accepts some control over his own life and his dad is still proud of him despite maybe veering from what he thought he 
would do. There are tracks on here that showcase how temporary things in middle school are. Whether they're relationships, dreams, or feelings, we want to think things will last forever when we're younger, either out of ambition or disappointment. At the time, we think these moments are so important and everlasting. However, as time goes on, these things are so short or insignificant compared to the rest of your life. These tracks highlight how these moments, while so small and forgettable in the grand scheme of things, are very memorable and sometimes painful to think of. Take first drum set, in which David wants to switch to his dream instrument of the saxophone in his school band, being denied by the band director, having tears in his eyes as his dreams are crushed right in front of him, only to completely forget about this sadness and hardship mere seconds later as he switches over to the drums. Completely ecstatic and devoted to learning about that instrument instead of something he said would be his be-all end-all dream a few moments ago. I love the added touch of adding percussion to the track after he gets his first drum set, even adding a drum fill after he mentions being amazed to watch a kid in his class do a fill. This track has no reason to be this good, whether it's Bazan's emotional dedication to representing the feelings he had as a preteen, or the light production additions to represent the story through instrumentation. Too much effort for something that was just a small moment in his life. Tracks like Teenage Sequencer and Own Valentine present how fragile and fleeting preteen relationships are, but with enough emotional investment to create stakes in the track. Having you emphasize with the the angst of young David somehow connecting this childhood pain to adult insecurities. Later on with Stranger, David is the odd man out at couple skate at the local roller rink. David presents this as such a painful, isolating memory that goes past preteen trauma into full-on lonely deprecation that escapes age. The sentiment is beautifully expressed to make you feel like such an empty, separated kid. The final track, Lost Myself, is Bazan leaving Havasu and later Santa Cruz. This wind-like guitar distortion breezes by as David loses connection to the world around him, trying to tell himself to be flexible and prepare to stay in motion, however emotionally he presents himself as heartbroken and showcasing that it's never easy to say goodbye, regardless of how well prepared you think you are. When writing songs about childhood, I think sometimes musicians can get too caught up romanticizing the events or making them out to be way worse than they actually were. David Bazan just presents the facts. He doesn't act like moving away from Phoenix doesn't bother him, he knows it does. He doesn't romanticize the events of Teenage Sequencer, and when things get cut off with that girl, he doesn't even talk about how heartbroken he was or is, he just presents it as a fact. In fact, he doesn't even sing about after he gets things cut off, he just skips right to when they get back together at the end. Even when it's time for his family to move to Santa Cruz in good feeling, he's not chomping at the bit to get out of town. In fact, he's a little sad to leave even, recalling all the happy summer memories that he had. Maybe ready to leave, but with a tinge of pain. Bazan visited Havasu four times since that year to write this album, and you can tell that he's relived that seventh grade year every time. His experience in that town were in such a pivotal time in a kid's life that it seems like a lifetime there, like he crammed an entire coming-of-age film's worth of experiences into one year. This is the second album in a series about Bazan's childhood homes, like I mentioned, and while I enjoy Phoenix and look forward to Santa Cruz, assuming that's what the next one will be called, I think the nature of Bazan's stay in Havasu makes it the more poignant and enjoyable listen to me. Ouch. Bonobo. Fragments. The bonobo is a species of endangered great apes directly related to the chimpanzee. Bonobo the artist is a British electronic musician living in LA. He also backed up U2. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he was more of the front man. <laughs> He's the face of U2. Uh, Vincent says Bonobo is the artist. Bonobo the artist is the guy who makes those NFTs of monkeys. He is not an ape. 
Bonobos have a lifespan of about 40 years in captivity, and Bonobo, the artist, is 45 years old, meaning he's already exceeded life expectancy, but who knows how much longer he'll have. <laughs> NFTs have a lifespan of the end of quarter one of 2022 before becoming totally irrelevant, meaning that Bonobo may be out of business soon. Or dead. Why? Why do we do? Why did I type this shit? Why do I put this shit in your notes? And I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. I think I think I'm I'm gonna be out of business soon or dead. I think that's that's a definite possibility. In reality, Bonobo is one of those artists I hear a lot about specifically in the electronic scene, but I don't really know much about. He's one of those legacy artists that has been putting out music since 2000, who still has his cult following. He's collaborated with a ton of different artists as well, most notably Chet Faker and Erica Badu a couple of years ago. And even on his seventh album, Fragments, his feature list is pretty impressive. Kajibone, Jamila Woods, and Joji being the biggest names. The opening track, Polyghost, has elegant strings from Miguel Atwood Ferguson that place us directly in the middle of a vast ocean, where ideas will float up to us seamlessly without being directly tied to one another. Because once you get comfortable with Polygoat's soothing, rising, and falling tide-like beauty, we float into something new. The transition between Polyghost and the falling track Shadows is nothing incredible concept-wise. It's mostly just good placement more than anything else. The strings flare up at the end of Polyghost, muting everything in its path so Shadows can begin as normal. However, the simple execution of this transition sounds so seamless. Just the simple placement of these two tracks next to each other showcased the care that went into this project without being overbearing. Fragments is just a bunch of loose ideas and each idea is given its own time in the spotlight and identity without losing itself in other tracks, while also managing to naturally flow into one another like everything is just one giant body of water. The most striking thing about Fragments, or even Bonobo's style in general, is his use of organic instruments. I've listened to a lot of beat tapes in my day, but his style is so much more than that. Instead of trying to craft these booming, warehouse-shaking bangers, his tracks are intimate, whispering directly into my ears. The tracks are zen, incorporating instruments like flutes, string sections, harps, and folk percussion instruments that make me feel like I'm in some garden or natural landscape instead of a cold, synthetic room. Every track on here is lush and packed to the brim with moving parts, but not in a way that gets overwhelming. Even his vocal samples are distinct and precisely chosen for maximum effect. The features on Fragments are really impressive because none of them subtract from the overall identity of the album, but they're different enough to provide different atmosphere between each individual fragment. On paper, some of these features sound so random, like Joji on the track From You. His kind of whelpy vocals provide a damp energy to the already wavy and loose project. This track focuses more on the texture of Joji rather than him being a well-defined voice. Just a strange light you see in the night sky before being taken away by the waves that surround you. Another one of these weird on paper collabs is the addition of Jamela Woods to Tides. She has the most direct vocal feature on this album and unlike Joji, she has a presence that is able to stand up to the production of the track. Her beautiful fragile vocals ring out over sharp hi-hats as she manages to stay afloat like a buoy, claiming that her relationship is going through a rough patch and it's inevitable for another tide to wash away the relationship completely. 
The previously mentioned shadow features Jordan Rockeye and feels like he is drowning amidst the thick bass and escalating synths. I like how he has a large presence, but still the instrumentation pushes him down, like he's being forced into the shadow of the track. His presence is reduced to mere atmosphere amidst the flooding waves, creating a hypnotic electronic banger that continues the vastness you felt on Polyghost. Things travel deeper into heavier electronica than I initially perceived from the singles. Rosewood is carried by swaying keys that feel boundaryless and rigged synths that stop everything in its tracks. A club banger with a bit of reserve, being a quieter moment to have Otomo take you by surprise. Otomo is loud, rambunctious, and ethereal, sounding similar to that of a Chemical Brothers track. A fuzzy, distorted choir echoes in the background as pounding 808s explode on the track, an over-encompassing electronic chase through the bright, vivid daydreams of grandeur. Age of Phase has a similar pace and luminous qualities as Splice vocal chops seem completely foreign to the listener. It reminds me of the backwards speaking and the lodge scenes of Twin Peaks. It feels like it means something, but to the listener it sounds like it's complete gibberish. Like my tongue twisters. These vocal splices are matched with crushed lo-fi kick drums and this circling whooping synth that completely disorients the listener, placing them into the surreal section of this vast ocean that is fragments. The closing track, Day by Day, is a great closer to this album. It's definitely more R&B inspired, but that's where featured artist Kajibone really shines. The sultry bass and slick strings call to mind a Fuji's track, or something Terrace Martin might put out. The plucked strings cut through the texture, and the sandy percussion brings everything to life. Kaja's smoky voice is a perfect companion to Bonobo's work here. In a way, this calls back to his trip-hop roots and shows how he got popular in the first place. And also, in a way, by going back to that style, this track is pretty vastly different from all the other tracks on here. It's lush like the rest, but almost acts like an ending credits song. It's not as natural sounding as the rest of them, this one almost taking place in like a dark nightclub or something. This saxophone solo plays us off into the fade out, letting you sit there with your memories of the garden you visited throughout Fragments. After 22 years of putting out music, Bonobo is still showing us how he's the master of his craft. Fragments may play like kind of a generic electronic album, but don't let the overall aesthetic fool you. Bonobo's tracks are for introspective listening, not for bouncing off the walls. He's not afraid to include natural instrumentation with his synths and drum pads as well. This marriage of ideas is nothing incredibly new or novel, but it's done in a really solid way on fragments that makes me appreciate Bonobo's work even more now. Yay! Okay, I got something I want to show you. Are you ready? Okay, yeah. <laughs> What are you saying? <laughs> yes, I hear you, but I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yes. I can't tell what you're saying unless you ask, can I hear you? <laughs> yes. What? Full Kanye and just have it. Oh, wait. No, that's not full. I know that is full Kanye. I just got to turn up the reverb like ridiculously stupid. Hi, it's me, Kanye. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like a little yachty. Sounds scary. Hi. I'm here to 
This one is a choir, but it also sounds Alien. like a, it sounds like a toilet. <laughs> like this is the noise you hear when you throw up. This is, a, this is what Little Wayne sounds like. <laughs> Did you say this is what Little Wayne sounds like? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have any more surprises for you in this thing. I, I think I've, that's it. I've revealed all I can. So I'm going to turn it off and go back to my regular mic. <laughs> and with that... We're done with the Anthony and Todd show. It's canceled. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around, everyone. I, we only had two albums this week, and I had to, like, fill time some way, and I thought, I I just set this thing up. Like, I just got new quarter-inch cords for it, and I had it, like, as a part of my setup. So it was like, why not mess with it? Because I just completely forgot about it until now. So Let's say thank you to Lil Wayne for coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lil Wayne. <laughs> If you survived this and you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Anthony and Todd. You can find us at YouTube.com forward slash The Anthony and Todd Show. You can find us at Patreon.com slash The Anthony and Todd Show. You can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and Spotify. By searching The Anthony and Todd Show in your favorite podcast browser, I have an album out, Layer Effects, which you can listen to right now on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Title. You can find me on Twitter at the Vincent Short. You can find Trevor on Twitter at Alistair McAllis. And until next time, guys, I've been Vincent. I'm Trevor. And I'm Little Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to even put on the filter. I think it's just better that way. And Hello, Mario. <laughs> Hello, Mario. And see you, boys. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. 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 Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>